We are continuing in Romans chapter 8. This is our third Sunday in this uh, amazing chapter. And the first week, I think it was, yeah, the first week that I, I opened this with you, uh, began looking at this for you. I, I quoted a few theologians and pastors over the years who have said that this is the greatest chapter in the Bible, right? And, and you know, even at the time said, well, come on, really? Like one chapter, like Genesis 1 is pretty amazing. Ephesians 1 is really amazing. But I, I hope you're beginning to see, and, and what the Lord put on my heart, and I hope comes out even more today, is th- this is, this is a, a pivotal point in the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul has been pleading for seven chapters with his brothers and sisters who are of the Jewish faith to believe and trust in the gospel and Jesus as Lord and Savior, but also those who are Gentile, of course, in that. And, and, and in chapter 8, he's really speaking to now those who are believers, who are trusting in Christ, and he wants us to know that the Christian life is supposed to be the best life. Awesome. But it has its challenges. And so we're going to dig deeper into that today. Beginning in verse 9, I'm going to read our text for today up to verse 17. So read with me if you have your Bibles, and it would be a good idea if you did have Bibles with you and have them open so that you can circle things, underline things, remember things, exactly as you see them on the page or on your phone or tablet. So let me read the text, and then I'll pray one more time, and we'll dive in for today. Paul writes, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. We are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Pray with me, would you? Uh, Gracious Heavenly Father, um, just as we've read in this text today, Abba Father, we are so blessed to have been adopted into your family and, and, and to be your children. Father, I pray today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us savor that. Receive that in a deep, deep way, especially in these days. Father, I thank you for your great love for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for that expression of our Father's love by sending you into this world and for dying for us, for providing a way for us to come back to our Father. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've been sent by the Father and the Son to be with us, to be in us. 
and to teach us everything that we need to know about what Jesus has said and taught and commanded us, but also how to live, how to live this life that has been purchased for us. So I pray you would bless us as we consider this more, more deeply today. And I pray this, Lord Jesus, in your worthy name. Amen. So, uh, if there is a big idea, as I've already alluded to, I guess, this morning, uh, to this series so far that you've picked up on, the big idea would be that this Christian life is supposed to be incredible. <laughs> it's supposed to be awesome. Now, of course, the words supposed to be are kind of key there, aren't they? Because I, I think, as we've also seen, beginning with Paul's confession that we looked at two weeks ago, back in chapter 7, of, of his own life as a Christian at 25 years in with Jesus, planting churches, writing the New Testament, most of it anyway, and, and, and he's still struggling. He's still like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I know Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. I know how I'm supposed to be living, but I don't do it all the time. And then there's, there's things that I know are no longer really me but I keep doing them. What's wrong with me? And so we've seen that therein lies the battle of the Christian life. And it's real. It is a battle, right? It is there. And so there's encouragement from that. I hope you've taken that from that. And that really is really the big idea of this series is, is that Paul through chapter 8 and the rest of this book and the whole New Testament for that matter and all of the words of Jesus are about pointing you and I to the perfect life that he has called us to and saved us for. And so the idea is be encouraged. <laughs> That's what he's trying to give us. So Paul's goal, as was mine in the first two messages, was to ensure that in, in order for us to know that, to really be able to grasp that and hold on to that, we also need to know some things and not only know them, uh, but trust them fully as we grow in our maturity and in our faith and in righteousness. And, and, and that key is, of course, that, that we, yes, know the battle is between the old sinful nature, our flesh, as the Scripture calls it, and who we are now as new creations in Christ, who are no longer supposed to be walking according to the flesh, to the old sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And so Paul has shown us already so far that we can have confidence in that because, listen, your position has changed if you're in Christ. You are actually, in God's eyes, already perfect, righteous, and holy. And so Paul has said these words at the beginning of chapter 8, therefore, there is no condemnation for you when you're in Christ, Me meaning he will never reject you, no matter how many times you fall down and you got to dust yourself off and say, why did I do that again? He, he will not get angry with you or me. He will not punish you. And, and Paul wants us to know that so that we can also have confidence in that way. Because I don't know about you, but for, for me personally, when I... In, in my growing up, when, when I disappointed my dad, it bothered me. It bothered him too because he got angry with me. 
but it bothered me too. When, when I've disappointed my wife, when I've disappointed maybe some of you, it doesn't matter. Like, sometimes it's, it's actually hard to forgive oneself for those things, right? And, and so Paul wants us to know, don't think that way with your Heavenly Father because that's not the way it works with him. He perfectly loves you and he will not reject you. He will not get angry with you. He will not punish you. Despite the fact, yes, your position in Christ is perfect, and yet your practice, my practice from time to time, not so much, right? That's the lesson. So again, what we've learned is the moment you and I received Christ and believed in his name for our salvation, we were given the gift of righteousness. We were actually given it. And we were given a whole new identity. Who we were is no longer our old self. We're we're actually no longer that person, even though sometimes we get frustrated with ourselves and we believe we are. Now, that that old self, Jesus wants us to know, Paul wants us to know, has died. So I keep saying this to myself, let it die. (laughs) Stop trying to resurrect it. It's not helpful. Certainly not helpful to me or to the ministry and mission that God has called me and you to today in this world. It's not helpful. So it's truly a miracle. It's a gift. It also will take the rest of your life and my life to grow into that righteousness because we're in this battle. We're still in the flesh. We're still in this world. But like Paul, we must also be able to say this. What he said in chapter 7, verse 18, it'll be on screen. He said, after he confessed his problems, he said, for listen, I I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. So I've said this a couple times now, but I'll say it again. The fact that you actually have that desire, or I might have that desire, the the fact that Paul said he had that desire is a good sign that you're a Christian, that you have the spirit of life in you, because you're conscious of it. That's a good sign. And, and then also to admit, I, in my own will, in my own strength, in my own power, I don't have the ability to carry it out. That's another really good sign. It's called humility. But again, that, that's a work of the Spirit in you and me when we come to those things. So those are good signs. Be encouraged if that's how you feel. And it's good. But in all of that, Paul, of course, is pointing us more and more in Romans chapter 8, to the one who has the ability, (laughs) the full power of God ability, who is resident in you if you're in Christ, and of course his name is the Holy Spirit. So last week, the key takeaway for us, I hope you would have seen, was that for us to walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, we need to set our minds on the things of the Spirit and the ways of the Spirit. And it's not just about, you know, thinking about it, like having our mind thinking about those things. Yeah, those, oh yeah, those are good things. Yeah, maybe I should do that. Oh yeah, oh, that, that makes, makes me feel really good. That maybe, no. It's like having a mindset that that's the thing that I want to give myself to. Otherwise, the problem, of course, is that we will tend to set our minds on the things of the world. And listen, There's a fair bit of pressure to do that, isn't there? Every moment of every day, and oh yes, by the way, it's right here. 
Every day, the pressure's there. The temptation's there. The guidance is there. It's the wrong guidance, but it's there. And so really, we are people, day by day, Paul is encouraging you, I'm encouraging you to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And then what Paul does in our text for today is he returns once again, look at this, to your identity. All I have for you this morning is a title for the sermon. No three points. Probably thinking, that's great, it'll be shorter. Um, Maybe not. Uh, The title of the sermon is interesting. It is this. You are who you are. Some of you might be going, let me, I got to pull this up a little bit. Some of you might be like, that's, yeah, you're right. I know who I am. I've done a lot of work to, to, to put forward this image, this identity of myself. I know who I am. Oh, you bet I do. Isn't that the, the, the major issue in our culture today? Everyone's self-identifying and like wanting to be seen to be a certain way or that particular way to identify is going to make me happy, is going to really uh, make my life worth living. When I say you are who you are, I mean it this way. You are created in the image of God. You are who he says you are. He says in this text, and he says through his scripture, if you're in Christ, you're my son. You're my daughter. Now live like it. And here's how you do it. And that's what I want us to see from our text today. I'm going to back up one verse and read, and it'll be on screen for you. Verses 8 and 9 in the chapter, just for context. And we'll dive into this message for today, really. Read with me. Verse 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul then says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, lives in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So for the rest of this amazing chapter, Paul is going to go deeper and deeper into two aspects of what we've been talking about. He's going to go deeper and deeper into our our identity As children of God, who we really are, who you really are, it's good news, by the way, it's really good, and at the same time, our relationship to the Holy Spirit. I I have a book in my my Kindle that I've read a couple times, actually. I think it's called The Father, Son, and the Other One. Like, because often what happens, and Rudy would be like, he'd be on fire right now. Where is he? Like, it, like in so many churches, especially quote conservative churches, it, it's it's all about Jesus. It's all about the Father. Yeah, of course it is, right? And the Holy Spirit is like occasionally present. No, I hope you will see that very much so today. So that's what Paul wants to lead us into. He begins here with some very emphatic words that could be translated kind of this way: "You are, however." Regardless of how many times you give your flesh reason to think it's still who you are, you are in the Spirit. And that is the only way you could or can be if the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's a big identity issue here, and it's good. I I can't tell you, like even this morning as I'm praying before I came up, I'm thinking to myself, um, I'm walking around in the back just praying about this, I'm thinking to myself, I, I've been a Christian since I was 23 years of age. Okay, that was only like 10 years ago. But listen, 43 years ago. I, I, I'm amazed constantly how much he is revealing to me 
about A, what I didn't know, but also about what now I'm becoming, it's becoming known to me in, in a fresh and better way, a more deep way. That's, that's the way of the Spirit. That's incredible. And again, it's because of the, the tug and Glenn's life through 43 years. Finally, maybe getting there a little bit. So what's most interesting about the way that Paul puts this here is what he's actually really doing is this. Well, this might be challenging for a few minutes. Is he's actually comparing the non-Christian with the Christian in this text. Okay? So think of it this way. Paul wants to further encourage you and I, those of us who know we still do what we don't want to do anymore or that we shouldn't do, um, that we know we are saved by his calling on our lives. But here's the comparison. Have you ever heard someone say something like this? And that person claims to be a Christian. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that <laughs> or thought that? Listen, people who are outside the faith and inside sometimes say that about us. Well, why is that the case? Well, because we come on Sunday and we check all the box and we live like we're in the spirit and then we leave church and we're back in the flesh, right? So people say that. They, they, they ask the question, then that person claims to be a Christian. It's kind of sarcastic, isn't it? Or sometimes you might hear those who are and claim to be Christians saying, sadly, I've known non-Christians who are better people than those people. Ever heard that? Ever thought that? Ever said that? You see, I've, I've heard these things on and off. I've thought these things from time to time. So here's what Paul's getting at. Sometimes, sadly, the truth is, you can't tell the Christian from the non. That's sad, right? So I, I, I'm not thinking of anybody. I'm not pointing any fingers. Let the Holy Spirit do his work on you as he's been doing on me in this particular way. But think about that. So there are non-Christians who you may know, who you've met sometimes, and, and I've, I've known people like this. I have some good buddies from high school. I hope they're not watching live online right now. But anyway, uh, who, like, I, I know them. And, and like, you know what? They're, they're, they're good guys, right? You know people who, who, who seem to exhibit characteristics that might make you think, you know, well, maybe they are a Christian. You know, they don't go to church or read their Bible or ever made any particular profession, but you know, just, just the way they behave. I mean, they seem to be really good people. They're humble, they're gentle, they're kind and, and compassionate. They do good things for people. They give to you know, UNICEF or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, like they, they actually do give money to needy GoFundMes, whatever it might be, and you know this about them. They're generally, their demeanor is generally pretty happy and joyful, and sometimes they're also materially somewhat successful in life and in their careers. And you wonder, well, that, is that God blessing them? Right? Is that God blessing them? So Paul is saying here, they may look, even act like someone who has the Spirit, but they don't. Now, I don't know that. You don't know that. Let's be really clear. But sometimes we can think that and we could be wrong. Then on the other hand, you have the person who truly is a Christian, has the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and from time to time, they're not acting the way they should, right? Again, anybody in your own personal life or anybody you know, come on, we do, you do. 
And so you may question in your mind whether in fact they are Christian even, but the reality is if they have, listen, Paul wants this to be clear, if they do have the Holy Spirit of God living in them, then they are Christian and they are saved, even though you may not be seeing it at this time. So what's the point? Well, first, as Paul says in verse 8, there are those in the flesh, those who are in the flesh, by the way, cannot please God. These are the nons. He's basically saying if people are in the flesh and they remain in their flesh all their lives, despite the fact that they may do good works and their lives might look very Christian-like, they're going to die in their flesh. That's what he's getting at. So no matter how good their works or appearances, if they do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, they are in the flesh, their flesh is dead, and it's going to die. Then he says, you, however. So now obviously he's talking to the Christian, right? He's changing the perspective in the comparison. Again, the encouragement, you have the spirit dwelling in you. Do you know that? Do you realize that? And therefore, don't believe the lie. You are not in the flesh. And then he returns to the nons when he says, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Making sense yet? Mm -hmm. Paul doesn't think so, which is why he goes on. And in verse 10, he says this, but if Christ is in you, although your body, the body, the flesh, is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So many have taken the last part of that, verse 11, uh, to be speaking uh, exclusively about your resurrected body that you're going to get one day, right? You all know that when, if you're in Christ, when you die, you're going to get a resurrected body that's going to be perfect and it's going to be healthy and it's not going to need sleep and it's going to be awesome, right? I'm very much looking forward to that day, okay? That's not exclusive what he's getting at here. We would be missing a lot if that's what we assume. But that's that's true too. It is true that we are going to get those bodies at one point in our lives. There's more to grasp here though, and it explains the contrast actually he was getting at between the non-Christian and the Christian who isn't acting like a Christian. It's this, and we all know this is true. I, I hope you do know this is true. No matter how much you work out, even though the gyms are closed right now, (laughs) your physical body is on a downward slope. You know that, right? It's it's heading the wrong direction. I I see people who are way younger than me in this room nodding their heads. So that's good. It's good, okay? It is. It's just true. And we know that is true. It's heading for the grave. Our flesh is dying and one day it will be done. So that's universally true for everyone. But the question is why? Why would God design it that way? Why would God design it so that, you know, we would be given these beautiful lives, these great lives, and then we would die? Hang on. Some of you are looking at me going, preacher, you do know the answer to that, don't you? Yeah, he didn't design it that way, did he? That was never the intention at all. Why are our bodies dying? Because of sin. Because of sin. Our flesh, our bodies... Are dying, And that's true for everyone as well, the Christian 
and the non. On the other hand, despite how a Christian who does have the spirit of life dwelling in them or us behaves from time to time, falling back into the ways and patterns of the flesh, there will be, or listen, there should be progress in this life. The spirit of life will begin the work of transformation the minute he comes into your body, into your heart, into your life, and will start leading you into the direction where your old self will pass away and the new will fully come. That's a hard truth, actually, for many of us. All of this is of what I've been saying for the last maybe five to eight minutes. We, we want to believe with all of our hearts in many cases oftentimes within our own families or close friends and relatives and acquaintances, that someone is, in fact, saved. But the truth is, there's little fruit. There's little fruit. Well, let me suggest this for you today. The real concern in all of this should begin with you and me, not them. We should have a heart for them. But the Holy Spirit is speaking right now to you and to me about this subject. I thought of some ways to try to illustrate this for you. One of them was, listen, we planted this church 13 years ago, and we've seen many people come and go from the Rock Church uh, and from Squamish over the years. And, and I know that over a period of three to five years, when you're like, listen, if you live life on life, and at the Rock Church, we call people to do that, get in the missional community group, get to know each other. Why? Discipleship, growing in righteousness, you know, being sanctified and growing in our faith. That's why we're doing this. That's why we do these things. But over a period of time, you know, you walk with someone, you talk with someone, you share life with them. And, and, and sometimes it's like, what's happening? I, I've had several circumstances, and oftentimes this is with, with wives, okay? I'm not picking on the ladies here. I'm actually with you, okay? But where they're like, my husband's just it's not happening fast enough. They're like, I actually don't see anything, right? And, and what I have to, I'm sorry, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do it like that. Um, I love the ladies, I really do. So here, my point is this. Oftentimes what I'll say to them is, hey, I'll say, listen, I know for you the graph looks like this. Like, it, it looks like, oh, he's doing really, oh, he's not, whatever. But a, as I stand back and I look at the picture over three to five years, I actually can see a little bit up and to the right. And I think that's the point. You should be seeing that, Christian, in your own walk and in your own life. And you should be seeing that in your brothers and sisters. And so that's why, by the way, Every Sunday, we keep preaching the gospel to each other. I had a mentor many, many years ago when I first started preaching. I was so excited. to. I went to Cincinnati to hear him speak at a conference. Dr. David Gooding was his name. He came over from England. He did a bunch of seminars in Vancouver for a bunch of guys and teaching us how to understand the Bible so we could actually maybe one day become preachers. And I, and I went to Cincinnati, and I had a coffee with him, and I said to him, David, I said, I'm so excited. I'm, I, I'm preaching for the first time this coming Sunday. And he went, that's awesome. What are you preaching? I said, Luke chapter 12 is one of my favorite things. The parable of the rich fool is kind of my testimony. And I'm telling him the whole story about how awesome this sermon's going to be and my points. And I got it all lined up. And, he's, and he just looks at me and he's just nodding. And at one point he just, in his lovely little British accent, he goes, well, Glenn, that sounds wonderful. But don't forget to preach the gospel. Never forgot that. Ever. And so, despite the frustration that our flesh, 
which is influenced by the fleshiness of this world, to live by its patterns, to chase after its materialistic and pleasure-seeking desires, despite our battle to live by the Spirit and, frankly, to see the ways of the Spirit as the ideal and better life rather than those things that seem to be, those people are doing okay. No, these are the ways to live. If the spirit of the living God has come into your life, into your very human flesh, you will, listen, Paul wants you to know, you will conquer the flesh. And the more that you do that, the better that life is going to appear and actually be. It's called perseverance. It's called stay at it. So listen, just like we cannot reverse the process of physical death, which no one can do, On the other hand, yes, our bodies are going to die, but here's the truth. You can refuse to let the members of your body be instruments for sin. And that's the point that's happening here. And he's getting to. We do not have to give in. We can refuse by the power of the Holy Spirit, who's our helper within us, to let our members be used for any sinful purpose. We can refuse it. You know, you, you can refuse letting your eyes look at images online that you shouldn't be looking at. Men, mostly. You can say no to that. You really can. You don't have to let your eyes do that. You can say, no, we won't let our tongues, our lips, tell untruths or brag and be boastful and proud or gossip, or we, we can say no to that. We can. It's a battle. It's a fight. But those things only lead to death. We don't have to let our minds wander off into fear as much as we do, especially in these days. Amen? You can fight that by living in the Spirit. And... We don't have to let our legs and feet lead us into places where we should not be. We don't have to let our sexual desires and needs for those desires be used for wrong purposes. We can say no. We can. Paul goes on in verses 12 and 13 and says, So then, brothers and sisters, We are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Your your Christian walk and life will, you'll still be saved, but this life will not be the life it's supposed to be. It'll die to you in many, many ways and to me. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So Paul's words could be understood to say that. So brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We actually have a responsibility to refuse to live according to the flesh. Again, the words of James, which I believe I quoted last week, uh, are important to hear. In James 1.22, it's not on screen, he says this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. The Word of God is given to us for instruction in righteousness. Listen to what it says and then do it. 
And that's also why he said faith without works is dead. And as I said last week, we're not saved by our works, but it is our faith that puts us to work. So we have an obligation. We have the the, the gift of righteousness that has been given to us, and we have an obligation primarily why? Because Jesus died for you and for me. So that you could be saved, that I could be saved, so we could have the Christian life, so we we could actually understand righteousness and live in it and, and feel better and better and better actually about ourselves is because of what he's done for you and for me. So we now arrive at another point where Paul gives us even more details about our new identity in Christ. His goal actually all along since chapter 7 has been to lead us one step at a time more fully into understanding our true identity so that we can actually live it out more fully and therefore savor the Christian life for what it is intended to be. And so next then in verses 14 and 15, Paul uses a term he hasn't used before. It's interesting when he says this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So you may have noticed, actually, I was surprised how many times in in chapter 8, but also in Romans, period, Paul uses the word for, and and, uh, I prefer the translation of that word, because, right? So it's, it's always where he's setting up a comparison or an example or an illustration or a, a truth teaching, and then he always wants to tell us the because, right? And so it's beautiful what he does here and, and the way in which he does it. He says, because, and then for the first time in Romans, he uses the phrase, are sons of God. Why are all these things true about you and the way that you lived and the, the spirit of life living in you? And all, Because you're now a son of God. Now listen, we also know, everyone please hear me when I say this, we all know that when words like that are used in the Bible, it's inclusive, right? Sons here means male and female, men and women. It's a little like the word mankind. Now we know in our culture today, people want to change that word to humankind, but I will also just remind us, I'm a man, and then there are womans, right? So it's mankind, okay? So it's, it's an inclusive word here. It's not, it's, it's, we're brothers and sisters, And so sonship has significant advantages is the point. And the first that we learn about here is that as sons and daughters, we are now adopted as his children. We're his kids. We're kids. But we're his. And and, and we have a father whom we can actually cry out to. And I'm sure you've heard some other preachers say this before, and it's true that in, in the original idiom of the language, it, the, the two words put together, it's like daddy father. We, we can cry out to him. I love it when I hear my grandkids, uh, mostly granddaughters, well, and, and a grandson, um, daddy, daddy. Like, it's, so, it, it's so sincere. That's, that's your father. That's your heavenly father. That's what we're being encouraged to understand here. We've been fully adopted, fully a part of the family of God with, listen, the creator God of the universe, the all-powerful one, the one who controls everything, your heartbeat, your breath, 
the oxygen in this world, the spinning of this planet, the galaxies, everything that's going on. And listen, what Paul is getting at here is, one of the things is, you're having a trouble in this world with the, the flesh and the devil? Go to him. Do you think he can handle it? He's your Abba Father. And that's what adoption is. And, 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 and in that adoption, look what it says here also, that, that the spirit of slavery and fear has been banished. I remember growing up, I'm not very tall now, <laughs> but when I was growing up, I was shorter. I know that is a real you know, revelation to some of you, but I thought my dad was a giant. I thought my dad was the strongest man on the planet. I was one of those boys in the neighborhood who said, my dad could beat your dad. They're like, I just really looked up to him. And he was strong. And he was a provider and he was a protector. I love my dad. It's no comparison. There's no comparison with our Abba Father. And so like I asked, do you think he can deal with the problems of your life? I don't think we go to him enough every time they appear in our life. So the most important question I think that you and I need to have answered at this point before we get to our conclusion then is, how do I know for sure that I am a son of God? How can I know in my heart of hearts that I really am? It's important, right? So Paul gives you and I a few reasons here to help us know that we are. The first way that you will know that you are a son of God is that you will know you are being led by the Holy Spirit. There will have been, there should have been a point in your life where you all of a sudden realized, um, I've just woke up. Something just happened. I remember it very clearly at 23 years of age. The first time I went to a Protestant church, <laughs> having been raised Catholic, and I heard the gospel on that Sunday. And I remember having my brand new Bible that my wife had bought for me, and I have it open, and I hadn't read the Bible very much because every time I'd read it, I was like, I, I don't know, like, I don't know if I get this. You know, like, it's, okay, it's Jesus, it's great, whatever. I, but I remember being in that sermon, and I had been praying all week, and people were praying over me and for me. I knew that. And I remember really clearly at that time, sensing that I understood. I understood what was being said. And it wasn't because the preacher was so remarkable. It was because the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I experienced that. I hope you have too. And actually, what Paul wants to encourage you to do, and I want to encourage you to do, is remember those days. You and I are going to need to know those days. Another example of that would be um, life journaling. When I was part of the C2C network, which we, the church planning network in Canada, we went to oftentimes to uh, re retreats and we would get together uh, around tables in the morning at like 7 a.m. and we would do our life journaling, which is reading through the Bible in one year. And the pattern was very simple where we would, we would be reading uh, two chapters in the Old Testament and, and maybe one or two in the New Testament. And then the idea was you'd be, you'd be listening to the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaking to you, you'd be praying over something. And then around the table, we would all share with each other 
what the Lord spoke to us, what the Holy Spirit, out of those passages and texts, was speaking to us. I can't tell you how many times at that table where I was amazed when I would say, well, verse such and such and this, and this is what the Holy Spirit said to me, and someone, like two or three other people at the table go, me too. Like, me too. It's being led by the Spirit. Also, when you're reading the Word of God and, and, and for yourself, and that happens, or when you're walking around during the day after you've been reading or you've heard a sermon or whatever, I've been studying in some respect, and the Holy Spirit just brings to your memory something that you learned, and it speaks to you personally, it convicts you personally, and, and, it, and it, it impacts your day personally on that day, you are being led by the Spirit. So you can know, based on that, that you are a son of God. That's being led by the Spirit. And, and that's why in John's Gospel, Jesus shocked his disciples when he told them, by the way, I'm going to go away. But it's going to be good for you because I'm going to send the helper to you. And in John chapter 14, verses 15 to 17, it says this, Jesus speaking, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You will know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. And a little further on in verse 26, Jesus says, but the helper, look, the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said you. So when you can say that you know that the Spirit has been an active in your heart and mind like this, you know you are being led by the Spirit and therefore you are a son of God. Now listen, I know it's hard because of the pandemic, but here's another way that you can know <laughs> that you're being led by the Spirit. Do you long to be with the body? been a couple of years, right? But do you long to be gathering with the body in person? Please hear me, those watching online. I know, trust me, I know. There are, in some cases, reasons why, yes, you long to be here, but you can't be because of immunocompromised situations. I understand. Of course we understand that. But I wonder, especially in these days, is that longing still there? That is the leading of the Holy Spirit, by the way that we be with the body. I know many of you. I know many of you. I'm the same way, especially now that I have grandkids. I know that many of you, especially over this last Christmas, which was maybe blown apart for you like it was for us, but you wanted to be with your blood family, right? Your natural family. Of course you wanted to be. You longed to be with them, to be with mom and dad and the grandparents. And the, Yeah, of course you did. Of course you did. That's good. That's healthy. Do you long to be with the body of Christ? That's being led by the Spirit. So one more way that you and I know we are being led by the Spirit is when you can sing hymns like we did today, but also one like, I love this one, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and you can sing this line and really mean it. And the things of this world will grow strangely dim. I love that line. When you can sing that, not that the world's horrible and bad in every way, 
But when it, it's not your heart's desire, but the things of Christ and the Spirit are, you're being led by the Spirit. So our last verse, two verses for today give us more reasons to trust our Father and be assured. In verse 16, Paul says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. This is to the point that I've just been making. The Spirit bears witness with your spirit, with your person, your humanity, your heart, your mind, and your soul that you are a child of God. In order for that to happen, you need to be where the Spirit is. I know I sound like a broken record, but he's in your Bible. <laughs> he's in you, he, he's in the world, but he's in his word. And that's where we need to go in order to learn about who we truly are. So friends, listen, please. Remember this today, tomorrow, and the days ahead. The moment you start to struggle and doubt and feel overwhelmed by the world, the flesh, and the devil, rem remember when you first believed. Remember those glimpses of when you felt you were being led by the Spirit. Return to those things. Stay there. Stay in those things. The Spirit wants to confirm in you who you are now. I must do this at this point and just simply say this. Some of you may be going, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. You can be. <laughs> you can be. Knock. Ask. The Holy Spirit will speak to you. Open your heart to him. Open your heart to Christ and the truth of his word. And he will change you right now. And you will know it. You will. Verse 17, he adds, And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him, in order that we also may be glorified. I don't know if you spend much time thinking about this, but you are heirs with Jesus Christ. <laughs> How rich do you think he is? in ways that are far beyond the riches of this world. I love a bumper sticker that people sometimes have on the back of that big mobile home that they're driving around, and, and it says, sorry, kids, we're spending it. <laughs> it's talking about the inheritance. There are a lot of people in this world, like, that, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for, you know, freedom, 55, hopefully at 65, to be able to have a life, and you know what, to inherit some money and stuff like that. That would be heaven on earth, because then we could really live it up. Well, you're dying. There's that. What our Heavenly Father wants us to know is this. You're just not going to believe how good it is. What I've got for you. You're not going to believe it. It's way beyond your expectations. It's going to be so worth it. So continue in your faith. Persevere until the end. Pray with me, would you?